everybody. Welcome to another episode of the TF Podcast. My name is Jonathan G. Blanco. Uh, I'm here today with Victor Sowers. Uh, we've actually had Victor at one of our past events in uh, our TF Austin chapter. Uh, he is in the energy sector uh, along with uh, the investing side of it and uh, has been messing with blockchain and cryptocurrency as well in that regard and uh, thought with what had been happening um, in the oil markets uh, a couple weeks ago and, and how it's uh, performed since then, uh, thought why not have Victor on the show. Uh, before we get started with introducing Victor, please make sure that you are following us on our social channels at TF uh, Blockchain, uh, myself at, at JG Product, uh, also on uh, YouTube, and you know we really appreciate you sharing these, these uh, episodes. So with that, Victor, if you could, uh, please introduce yourself to our audience. Yes, my name is Victor Sowers. I am CEO of Team Knowledge Optimization. Uh, so uh, we focus on energy infrastructure uh, from the Texas uh, Gulf all the way up to North Dakota and also energy policy as well. Uh, so we work with a lot of utilities, but also have a lot, a lot of large industrial users such as oil and gas. So we work with many, many oil and gas operators and so obviously we're in a bit of a pinch right now. Uh, so we're developing a, a new normal, one might say, in this sector. Yeah, yeah, I bet. I bet uh, the last couple of weeks have been pretty crazy. Uh, let's just dive right into that. What, uh, in your eyes and, and you know, from what you've seen, what is it that caused uh, oil to take such a hit uh, overall? And uh, yeah, let's just start there. Yeah, so multi-fronts. Uh, one, uh, we had uh, OPEC plus uh, Saudi Arabia, Russia, and a lot of uh, countries that are 100% revenue, oil and gas, uh, decide could not make an agreement uh, of what the production rate should be. So they decided to flood the market. And of course, right after that, we had the coronavirus worldwide. Uh, that's one part. Another part that the public is aware of that we had negative pricing for WTI, West Texas Intermediate Crude. But how do you get negative pricing down to $37 negatives? So I have to pay you to take my oil, right? And so that that event was more of a, a, a trader event, uh, just financial, large financial entities taking advantage of the situation. It wasn't a normal uh, calibrated type of, of trade, if you will. I mean, you know, it's very important, what have you. Uh, and that might show that, you know, maybe we need some stop gaps like we have in the stock market. And hey, let's close the market because something uh, is not right in the system, something we haven't seen before. Yeah. So take advantage of it, what have you. Uh, and so going, going forward, we see uh, where there's a lot of storage. Uh, storage, we need these, these large, uh, what we call storage farms. Uh, the biggest ones in, is in Oklahoma. Uh, and these are these are just uh, uh, millions and millions of barrels of storage. And the other one is what we call offshore storage. So those are people who are familiar with these super tankers. They hold they hold about two million barrels per super tanker. Mm -hmm. At this storage event, especially internationally, is that the cost of storing oil while you wait for the market to be better <clears throat> is uh, that the the cost has gone up six hundred eighty percent. So to rent a super tanker for a day is uh, $175,000 a day. So mm -hmm. then the product is going to be worth nothing if you, if you can't move it. 
So a lot of what we see, the overproduction is one was uh, political in nature, geopolitical uh, uh, tit for tat kind of thing. Uh, another one was obviously large traders taking advantage of the situation. So we're in a situation where a lot of OPEC nations, that is their revenue. It's not like they can make cars and software and what have you, things that we make up our U.S. economy. It's not like that. It's oil. And don't forget their other revenue stream, oil, right? So mm-hmm. it's just a little bit, but it shows you where they have to pump to be able to survive. Yeah. So how much? What makes sense? Because you're killing the value versus uh, – in the oil world, you have two price index that are looked at. There's more, but the two major, major ones is, is uh, West Texas Intermediate Crude and Brent. Brent's a heavier oil, right, typically. Mm-hmm. So that's usually about a $5 spread. So if we're 20 bucks in the U.S. at WTI, Brent's going to be 25 to 28 Well, the spread is much, much greater now. So does that make economic sense? Does that make balancing so the challenges going forward is even the demand. So our airlines are flying again because right now they're repressed by 90%. That's an enormous amount of fuel, so, uh, fuel that's burnt daily. Yeah. Uh, relative to transportation in the uh, automotive world, right? Cars have become extremely efficient in the last 10 years. And then we have the transition, uh, small, slow transition to electrification of transportation. So you have that, but airlines have gone through the roof internationally and domestically. But when those guys are grounded, guess what? You fuel bond burn drops, but that's the infrastructure is there. So it can come back really, really quick. The deal is the cost of oil is going to be a lagging indicator because we have so much stored. Yeah. We, we have, we have just, just hundreds of millions of barrels of stored oil. So that has, that has to burn through first and at what price the forward looking price. Yeah. See pricing right now, you see it's like $18 for, for a WTI or $25 WTI. Well, that they're going to use the storage first, which doesn't help the key thing about um, uh, the American industry for your independent operators that they, can, they won't see increase in their pumping capability for what they can sell and probably Q4 or going to 2021. Wow. So, does that look like you know our independence right now so yeah you know, at the peak us is doing like 13.5 million per day barrels per day we're probably down to maybe seven or less mm-hmm. what have you worldwide we were at 100 million barrels of oil per day before the coronavirus restricted consumption we'll probably there's different numbers uh there's been some folks that are saying it's 25 uh, percent less we think it's greater we think we've lost probably 35 plus million barrels a day worldwide of consumption mm-hmm. and we think that 10 million barrels a day will never come back so we were at 100 worldwide per day and we probably won't will be 90 million barrels per day when things get back to the new normal and uh what, assumption. yeah and, and what and what is that is because people start to drive less plus the combination of um, people traveling less um, and then also the combination of like energy vehicles in, in, and then having like this swan event, um, I guess, uh, catapult that a little bit or, or why, why the 10% dip? Yeah. It's the latter. It's the swan event really. And the swan event is described as discovery. 
school districts they're in shedding where they have remote learning and so they're not operating their campuses elementary high schools uh, large independent school districts in the last two and a half months have saved four million dollars on operating costs the teachers are still getting paid yeah teachers are working hard to remote learn but the thing is we're not operating these large campuses what have you so there's that kind of component the other one is on, on the um on the employment sector for companies you find hey am i'm still efficient in today's world that my employee can work at home and still be the same efficiency ratio if not more yeah now the the story that is still to be written but the indicators that we're seeing is what well, used to be eight hours of work a lot of employees are getting done four to six hours without the expense of having lease on a commercial building to have office space so mm -hmm. you know that's that's the kind of thing that these discovery moments are coming to play so if i'm not burning lighting and heating in, in buildings uh or campuses well i'm going to say on money uh both on utilities and on lease payments right or mortgage payments so mm -hmm. they're looking at it looking at it very very seriously there's always a misnomer that if somebody works at home that they become less efficient well it's been uh, not in all sectors, but we're showing some bright lights that that's not true. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's one of the black swan. Right. Now, when to go back to what you're talking about in regards to um, the oil and storage, you know, let's say uh, every the economy gets turned on, everything gets turned on tomorrow. How long does it take us to go through what's in storage likely to then say we would start producing more i know you said like it would it would take till what q4 i think you said or 2021 till it would be producing at a similar level but <laughs> until producers actually see a change in pricing per barrel got it so this year right now is uh, have we slowed down production the assumption so right now we're still storing both internationally and us so we're still pumping too much right so one indicator that we've seen this last month is that the various storage centers around the U.S., Strategic Petroleum Reserve, the storage in Oklahoma, did not reach its mark that we anticipated it was going to be this much oil uh, being stored. It was less than we are slowing down. But internationally and domestically, uh, we're not there yet. Uh, uh, and, and the best preparation in the best world, uh, if we brought air production down by, by, then we can burn into the stored oil. So it's I, a less of an impact. Sorry, if we brought it down by how much? <laughs> About 40% yeah. of production. So that would be 60 million barrels a day. <clears throat> the question is, can uh, a lot of countries that are, that are on a tipping point, can they survive that? So the question is, if you lessen the quantity to increase the value, right? Supply and demand physics, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, if, if I was at $60, $70 at the beginning of the year for Brent and down, now I'm down to 25, well, I cut it less than half, but I'm producing twice as much. So, so does that make sense? So you, you look at where souvenir nations are borrowing money bond money, credit, things of this nature, because they they can't pay uh, their people. They're borrowing to do it. Yeah. 
So for us in the U.S., we say, well, welcome to the club, right? Hmm. Is that the smart thing to do? So it, it is where even if we shut everything down in the U.S., our infrastructure is massively built out over the last 10 years. Our, our piping, our drilling, our, our, uh, our technology, a lot of technology coming to play. Machine, machine learning. Uh, you talked about algorithms, uh, AIs coming to play what have you. And so you know, this is going to be another black swan moment where an oil, when oil and gas industry say, you know what, we really need to understand and grasp a high level of use of AI and, and machine, machine intelligence, where it gives us a very simple read uh, to make decisions to see how we're doing. Because going through this process of wells being shut in and what should be shut in uh, they're finding out a lot, a lot of inefficiencies because all the brain power, the human brain power coming into play to find, hey, you know what, that, that well or that pump or the way we have configured is not very efficient on this side. Yeah, it was always there. Mm -hmm. That was always there. But the question is, what can you bring into play that give higher situation awareness and higher efficiency, right? So can, are we able to reduce flare gas and use it more efficiently? Uh, are we able to uh, pump with less cost uh, so we have this less impact, what have you? And that the industry, the, the semiconductor industry had to learn it, be more efficient. You know, years ago, about two decades ago, we had to learn it to be more efficient the way we built the tools, the way we ran semiconductors. So there's other large industries. Yeah. So give you an idea, uh, the oil and gas industry in the field uses an enormous amount of water. So a fab, right, that makes the wafer, uses the same amount of water. So mm -hmm. the dam pipes and pumps and stuff like that, it's the same power use, if you will. And it runs 24-7, just like a fab. So we look at the, the, the lessons that we learn, and we, we see that the oil and gas industry can learn a lot from the semiconductor industry when it comes to facilities that have situational awareness. In other words, don't recreate the wheel because you can right. And you don't know what you don't know. So who's the gold standard? Bring the play that already has machine, machine learning, and some algorithms and things of this nature, right? That make things a little more. And these kind of things where can you prove your value? So you know when it comes to like blockchain, you're proving a value, right? Might not be an economic value, right? But it's a unit value to verify, and which is a great teaching tool. And that's the kind of element in blockchain that might not be fully uh, appreciated is that blockchain also be a learning tool mm -hmm. that can turn into a higher value of AI. AI can learn from blockchain. Yeah. Unit of measurement, I've proven it. AI, I've given you a valid data point. Right. So, so it, sounds like, it sounds like when you're thinking about blockchain in this sector, it's regarding like the record management function of it, right? So like writing down the information um, and then from an analysis standpoint, you know, having the AI being able to read that to make some predictive type of decisions and things like that. But it's, you know, across the different players or the people that would be involved in, um, I guess the overall distribution and consortium uh, of everything, right? Sorry, it's, it's back to the, where we're on survival mode and it's human brain power with all these hardworking people uh, finding inefficiencies and things that we need to do so to survive. Uh, where could blockchain help me learn that 
help my AI learn that or my machine machine learning? Well, the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. And so that, that, that's something that can get us the next level moment when we reemerge and we will in all sectors. Well, what have we learned? Because without, without a doubt, when, when you have enormous amount of opportunity and you have a great economy and then it goes, then becomes still, well, what can you learn? Yeah. But you know, during a time that we're in this, this pause, that is a bit of reflection is it's just because we're in our homes, it's not time to stand still, time to move forward without a doubt. Forward thinking, what is your battle plan? What's your business plan? It's like Mark Cuban said the other day, in this environment, it's the perfect time to start a business. Yeah. Cost of money is cheap and opportunity is huge. So when down that we're all focused on, we're laser focused, well, are we going down losing jobs, what have you, losing opportunity, cut and pay on and on. You also think there's also opportunity rising dramatically. It's finding that opportunity. It's just as big as the drop. Yeah. Well, over 30 million people unemployed. Well, guess what? There's 30 million opportunity. You know, we need to bring manufacturing back to the U.S. to create demand, which will increase the price of oil, but also increases opportunity. We can't handle 20% return of manufacturing in the U.S. We have 178 million people that work in the U.S. Compared to our competitor, our friends overseas, China has over 600 million workers. Not population, they're 1.3 million population, but they have 600 million workers. How can you compete? Automation, blockchain, robotics. Yeah. Make one American behave like three workers. Yeah. I want to, I want to make sure I, <clears throat> so I, I, I yeah, I, I totally agree. When, once we create that automation overall, um, it just, you know, solve for inefficiencies, right? And it sounds like, uh, from what you're saying, that uh, the <clears throat> energy sector, the oil and sector, really relies on uh, legacy technology as well as, uh, you know, um, just humans, right? There's a lot of humans, of, which means that there's human potentials for human error or human uh, inefficiencies. When you're saying bringing back, you know, ma- bringing some more manufacturing jobs and not increasing oil prices, are you talking about because it's from a cost of production or a co- so? price of perhaps there's inefficiencies but then we have to pay for the humans so then that causes the price to go up and we you know pay at consumptions levels that we have become accustomed to or help me find that uh, yeah so what you're saying so look at what we've all heard the lack of medical supplies in the u.s Mm -hmm. the majority was overseas i'll hear about the face mask the n95 face mask in the united states when the the need for face masks became through the roof. We had one manufacturing line by 3M. One manufacturing line, not hundreds, give you an idea. Now 3M is doing their best to increase more manufacturing lines, what have you, for the face mask. But it's proves the point between our, our uh, pharmaceuticals and also our medical supplies as one category that we need to bring back to the US. And we can do it between automation and robotics and make it effective without losing jobs. A fear with our uh, political leaders is, is that we do infrastructure bill that's on the table right now, and we decide to use it in some sort of infrastructure matter to make us competitive so we can bring manufacturing back, that we'll lose jobs because Bob the robot took my job. Well, not really, because if we had 20% back to the U.S. that we did automation robotics, we're going to need 
technicians, technologists, engineers, in other words, both blue collar and white collar jobs. Mm-hmm. People to, to, to match at the beginning or building out. But we want to be competitive in the next 50 years. That's what we need to do. So I mean, that's the kind of item. And so that requires, we are going to consume more energy, but more efficient. So you can imagine that per um, capita that we're using less energy for producing more, right? It's just mm-hmm. pie's bigger. So we need to grow the pie. So we have a choice as society who we're concerned about death and every human life is precious, but it's not like World War II. You know, from World War One, World War II, you can mention people that survived that, influenza, 50 mm-hmm. million, World War One, World War II, right? Being like, it was not, nothing close. You can imagine what our, our grandfathers, great-grandfathers are thinking of us as a, well, okay, you know, 70,000 Americans is, is terrible. Losing 60,000 Americans to influenza A and B is terrible, but not like what they had it, not even close. So we have, we have to ask ourselves, do we have the grit and wherewithal to say, you know what, it's time for us to raise the bar and be prepared for the next 50 years? And so this is a time where we can rethink because we're home, reflect on what can we do, both our leaders and demand from our leaders, what's your 50-year plan to keep America the leader in innovation and quality of life and freedom? Mm-hmm. If you live in other countries, such as myself, you come back to the U.S., it's a blast of freedom. Totally. We get used to the choices that we don't even notice it anymore. But now having where you have to wear a face mask and go to the store and you're shut in at home, we feel like when our freedom is taken away. So those kind of things, okay, reflect on that. And so, yeah, go ahead. No, I would say it's interesting, right? Because it just has to all, you know, just the overall preparedness and um, kind of the the clarity around uh, I guess going back to what you say is, is that if we did have manufacturing on certain items here, it would have been a little bit easier to react uh, to certain things um, in, in this event, right? And so uh, where there would be more PPE, more readily available and things like that. But, you know, going back on the, um, on the energy side of things overall, or sorry, actually from the, um, the oil event that took place, I'm really curious on your point of view uh, on the, uh, I don't know, call it the oil bailout or the stimulus that was, I think it was like, what, $480 billion that was given to um, oil companies and to kind of stabilize out overall. What impact does that have um, in the broader scheme of things? And is it necessary? Is oil and gas um, the type of, you know, when people say like, let them fail or too big to fail is oil and gas, a sector that's too big to fail and, or should have, should have it just failed in that scenario? Or is, is it a really good thing that the government did step involved in that? I'm just curious for your point of view. So relative to the industrial fund, <laughs> it's not just oil and gas. So, uh, and a lot of independent operators can't qualify it just like big operators can't qualify for the payroll protection act right so the the fund is an industrial fund okay it's not just oil and gas got it so that's that's kind of a misnomer so this industrial fund is open to any industrials that could not qualify for payroll protection program 
right? But, and they're larger, larger operators, what have yeah. you. So, but strategically, we have to ask ourselves, do you want to be holding to another country? Because right now, the, the OPEC plus nations want to bring the U.S. down and take out our strategic position of saying, you know what, uh, we don't have to be beholden to your needs, right? We, we can have our own oil. Which begs the question, do we want to have our own internal trade? In other words, West uh, Texas Internet Crude is a U.S.-only tradable item, right? Which is a way of saying, do we do price control? Mm -hmm. And do we need to change the rules? So in other words, you know what? My oil's worth $30 a barrel, and that's the lowest we go, and that's it, right? Now, that's, that's not using market forces to do it, but also we have to ask ourselves, are the rules for market forces out of date? or is that enough protection to protect operators? So we look at it, we ask a lot of people, how much oil in Texas produces energy, electricity? How much? One barrel, million barrels a day, how much do we produce? Well, the answer is, is that it's zero. So all, all of our oil product is mostly used for transportation fuel enormous amount for aviation sorry all the oil that we produce internally is is for transportation as you're saying yeah, we don't use it for electrification got it yeah right? and that's a misnomer right mm -hmm. so a, a lot of folks say well you know we, we we use the more we electrify the less oil we need so well, right now our, our electrification for even ev vehicles does not come from oil you see but it is a product that we do for other transportation or heavy transportation, uh, both rail, rubber tire, and air, right? The question is, do you really want another nation who does not have the best interest for America and Americans, right? So it is going to be a transition period, and you see a lot of oil and gas companies like Shell, uh, BP, are getting into the energy sector. In other words, electrification. Mm -hmm. So they're becoming retail electrification energy providers. That's different. They're getting into renewables. So they're learning to be uh, a more encompassing of what the word energy company means. Yes, we do oil because we have to, but also we do wind and solar. Yeah. Right. And we do charge and we buy and sell electrification contracts. Right. So that that's great that they're learning. They, they know that the cheese is moving if you read the book who moved my cheese hmm. so some oil and gas companies are aware of that and taking action right on that yeah so you don't have to be a one product type company in other words if you want to be a true energy company so they're thinking as well and so you know the the price is going forward uh it's going to be tough but losing our strategic advantages and giving it to somebody that does not have our best interest at all, then it's something you have to ask yourself. And for, for American people that say, you know, it's, it's electrification, it's wind, it's solar, it's energy storage, and we can control all this through blockchain. We can buy and sell in blocks and, and matter of fact, create other revenue streams for the populace, which is quite possible with blockchain. Well, that said, like monetizing kind of like basically monetizing energy consumption or usage or, or, or I guess like from a tracking standpoint and kind of reward type system. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. It'd be the next evolution <clears throat> right now. The main response, the credit going to a residential person or a small commercial is less than wholesale. Mm. Right. You want to, we want to be competitive. This is sure. better than the spot market. What have you.
Sure, yeah. And there's pros and cons in that story, but the thing is, uh, during this transition, it's gonna make it You can say that oil and gas is not gonna leave tomorrow. So going forward, how do we protect industries? It's like 6.5 million people work in the oil and gas industry. In the U.S.? Yes. Wow. So you made me think of something uh, in this most recent discussion, and that is um, a lot of people aren't aware that the U.S. actually has a ton of oil, um, you know, basically it, throughout the U.S. And um, we used to produce a lot more than we do uh, now. And, um, you know, wh why couldn't the U.S. just become self-sufficient self self on its oil production? Like, why, are, why, why even trade with other countries if the U.S. could produce its own oil um, or energy stores uh, and be 100% self-sufficient? So the answer is we could. So our shell production is typically our lifting costs the cost it takes to lift a barrel of oil is more expensive than it is international players. That's number one. Mm -hmm. um, the other one is, is trade. Uh, you want to have a certain degree. Well, Hey, you know what? I got this much oil for this rate. Uh, so it helps the, the trade balance, if you will. So we can, and that's a great strategic position to be in where before the coronavirus, we were the largest producer in the world. And, you know, it's fluctuating between 40 to $60 you know, between all the markets. That's enough for people to live on. Mm -hmm. So if you get over indebted, then your lifting cost doesn't make sense. I, I've seen lifting costs $4 a barrel during the oil and gas crisis of 2014, 2016, everybody said for the U S market, it'd be impossible to bring down the lifting cost less than $60. Well, we proved them wrong. We can go substantially less than that. So, but if you take an aggregate average, well, what's your lifting cost? And then what's your general administration, what we call GNA on top of your lifting costs, right? To pay you and I, right? And office staff and your debt and all that kind of stuff. That's GNA. But actual lifting costs, we're very, very competitive here in the US, right? So, and we, we apply uh, a lot of technology, a lot of learning, lessons learned because the oil and gas industry did go through a black swan moment when we had a pricing battle in 2014, 2016. It's not their first rodeo. The difference mm -hmm. is um, that even though this is an intentional engagement to push down the shell production in the U.S., we also have a uh, demand destruction uh, where the coronavirus says, you know what, nobody's driving, nobody's flying anywhere in the world, right? And that's something that I think OPEC didn't realize the magnitude of impact of that, what that implies. Yeah. And the other time is that, you know, one synopsis is people thinking about that the OPEC nations are saying, listen, if we get hit with the coronavirus really, really hard and we got to shut in our workers, which mostly work in oil and gas, how do we keep the lights on? Well, the answer is that they're going to store a lot of oil. So they have to shut in for two months. Guess what? You have plenty of tankers full that they can ride out and yeah. create a small degree of revenue. So yeah. it'd be a, a strategic play on that category as well, if that makes sense. Totally, totally does. So we touched a little bit about blockchain in this space. Um, I'd love to shift that also, and you know, it's related is, you know, digit essentially digitizing 
the oil and gas industry. So, you know, banking experience, the digitalization of it, um, the, the real estate, you know, kind of has, is starting to experience and has, you know, level of digitization. Um, and so, you know, what I mean by that is, is um, all the transferring of funds that essentially go back and forth um, and settlements, you know, for payments, is there a digital um, payment or digital transaction opportunity there, whether that be call it a stable coin that's within all the players, or is it just, um, you know, a USD um, digital dollar that's used or, you know, wh what are kind of the thoughts or the appetite for something like that within um, the energy sector? So, does the uh, oil and gas operator have a direct pipeline to a hub where it's stored and processed? Uh, or does it need to be uh, rubber tired tankered out from the field, right? Mm -hmm. And so what was pulled from the field doesn't say what it is. So they have a lot of safeguards in that regard. I think the bigger value for blockchain is, is identifying the cost, uh, the operational cost. So how do I know that this well is running efficient totally and quickly? Because you know, a lot of the independents, they really don't have clarity until uh, the end of month gap or two months, 60 days down the road between all the vendors and everything they owe, what's the bottom line, right? That they first knowing on their fingertips that they know this is how their operations are doing and it's proven. So you need to check and balance with blockchain. This is, you know what, for the, this is what it costs it's been verified, take action on it, either in a good way, because it's running great, or in a bad way, because we identify, you know what, for whatever reason, the today's production costs a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So one thing that we've seen with some of our technology is that we were looking at a, a very large field in Texas, and we noticed that every Tuesday at 9.15 a.m. that this particular field the OPEX, the cost to operate, went through the roof and took three days for the oil to recover. Every mm -hmm. week, and it was very predicted. And so we were talking to the operator that we felt, listen, uh, it is not your guys in the field. It's not the surface equipment. Something's intervening, either, either a piping valve or something. Something is flooding the field and causing your revenue to drop and your OPEX to go through the roof. Because now you have to pump the system really hard, and that costs yeah. a lot. Well, lo and behold, it was basically two 18-wheelers that uh, stimulate the field, keep the pores open. And we asked the guys, well, listen, let's keep this simple. What about if you do one 18-wheeler on Tuesday and one on Friday? Well, the answer was the, the drop in revenue stopped because now they broke up the simulation, right, to one 18-wheeler twice a week versus dumping it all in one day. And their revenue increased by 8%. Got it. So they were they were essentially like flooding their own market in a way, and causing the price. Uh, they they didn't have that situational awareness to see what that effect is. And the thing is, is is that sensitivity can blockchain make it affordable to give the the, the granular uh, opportunities to run more efficient. Yeah. So situational awareness that 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 bullet that data point is true. Right. So if I'm running and it's only cost me four dollars to lift a barrel and then it jumps up to forty dollars to lift a barrel. Why? Mm -hmm. Right. And sometimes it's just a momentary time only only lasts a day or two days. 
but it keeps on happening every week is an aggregation effect. Right. Yeah. That's, that's where the uh, oil and gas industry can use the digitization to identify something where human being cannot react quick enough. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah I, I, I think that sounds, I, I mean, that, that makes a ton of sense and, and I definitely can see that. Yeah. I think I just, where I'm going with that is, you know, I'm assuming payment, or you know, exchanges hands, or, or say, basically, money exchanges hands multiple times from the time it's you know pumped to I receive it in my car, and so yeah, it just seems like there's some really interesting opportunities to think through uh, even digital currency um, or wrapping things up in smart contracts and and just having some level of currency that's related to that industry, um, whether that be. Um, you know, a cryptocurrency that exists today, a, a stable currency that's created by the natural and gas, um, it, or sorry, by the um, energy sector for them to operate within themselves, just to easily remit payments all throughout. Um, so, yes. Uh, so on the currency fintech side of the house, so there's a bit of, of um, the oil and gas industry stepping in, putting their toes in the water regarding that type of, of uh, currency tools and fintech for the following reasons. Uh, the oil and gas industry has been hit with ransomware attacks or in any other industry combined. A, a ransomware, lot. is that what you said? Yeah, so ransomware, right? So wait, well, you know, cryptocurrency because when ransomware says, hey, you know, I'll, I'll give you your data, but I need 300 grand, right? In cryptocurrency, right? So they have a, a bad misunderstanding of, well, how's this helped me? Because everything that I've dealt with personally, mm. just an oil and gas operator saying, yeah, very very bad, right? <laughs> that part says the cult. So the but the answer is, is so there. So there's a little bit of a uh, call it a PR aspect that needs to happen um, in, in that bit. regard. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, that's fair. So the, the, there is opportunity for the cryptocurrency, the fintech guys. Uh, and then try to, it's the PR, but also here's how it can benefit, right? Yeah. And that's really yet to see to be seen. And there's clarity that needs to be had on that. Yeah, totally. Um, well, you know, last topic before we wrap, I, you know, I'd love to talk about, um, you know, how familiar are you with uh, cryptocurrency mining in the um, energy field? Is, is that something that you've worked with or experienced? Or, you know, it seems like there, especially in Texas, um, I think it was a, a Peter Thiel backed company, um, you know, got some significant funding for uh, cryptocurrency mining with, with oil and gas. Uh, curious what your thoughts are in that regard. And, because it seems yeah. like there's lots of opportunity, right? If, if they're able to mine cryptocurrency with gas, uh, or for instance, in the natural, natural gas uh, sector that would have essentially, uh, you know, burned off or, or not been used, uh, it, it seems like a win for everybody. So what we see in the energy sector is obviously a lot of, of uh, blockchain, cryptocurrency being used in the energy space, but it's electrification space. Mm -hmm. How happen? It happened really, really quick. Not so much oil and gas. It, it's, it's a lot, lot less. You're competing a volume of, of fluid and gas compared to electron, right? That uses produce your in a telecast, right? Before us now, not so much in, in oil and gas. So there's there's opportunity in that sector, but most of the effort we've seen 
is mostly on on the electron side that are from utilities down to consumer of those kind of opportunities and how retail industry providers are saying you know is there value for this kind of granular train uh, trades we might see it in gas but you know most gas problem is is that the hubs are full and pricing is really low so we have physics causing an issue less than technology right mm -hmm. now clearly gas will be using more because of we're getting rid we're retiring a lot of coal burning plants and gas is turning on which is extremely more efficient and cleaner than coal mm -hmm. so you have that kind of component but as far as it's not like where you and i can do micro trades at a granular level level at a wholesale level for gas you know high pressure gas pipes i see that there's there's uh, this can be an opportunity on that is it scalable enough that the return for the service, if it's a satellite, makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. And and if not, can it help identify opportunities, right? And what's that cost? With other blockchain, cryptocurrency, there, there's a lot of high-speed trading, right? So you can make your volume. So for myself, I haven't seen the business model at wholesale level where you can have those granular high-speed training uh, trades that make sense for a business model. So how's that, how's that provider, that SaaS provider gonna survive? So that's, that's not clear as in other industries. Got it, got it. Yeah, and I was referring more just to the overall mining side of it, right? So like there, there's, you know, there's some um, companies that are actually mining cryptocurrency directly from natural gas, like the offset. There's actually a couple, um, uh, I, I can't remember the company offhand, unfortunately, that is mining off of uh, uh, New Jersey's unused power and things like that. Um, so what's- Yeah, what so power, you mean electrification power? Uh, yeah, I will actually, to be honest, it, it's, it's both, right? It, it's, so there are in Canada, for, for instance, I know there's a lot of, um, I don't, I shouldn't say a lot, but there's definitely people that are mining Bitcoin and cryptocurrency off of natural gas. Uh, I, I'm not super familiar. I know Peter, like I said, I know Peter Thiel's firm invested in a company in Texas for cryptocurrency <laughs> mining off of uh, the oil industry there. And then for instance, you know, I, I'm in Washington state and that's kind of the model here from the hydro standpoint is mm -hmm. uh, that unused hydro energy is being used for, um, you know, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency mining, so. So, yeah, so unused. Uh, unused, exactly. Yeah, so, so unused. So if I unuse my gas and oil, it's still there for a better day, right? I can, feel, I can see an algorithm that, hey, you know, we can do a trade here, or what have you. Uh, so there's a lot of data mining going on that is uh, either you're a qualifier reviewer, gas, oil, electrons, right? Electricity, KWH, right? Then you see, hey, you know what? I'm going to put my team on it and see and identify business opportunities, business models, right? So they're doing, yes, they're doing it for, for the oil and gas and, and quite a bit over the last five years and the electrification component, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of it is readily available and easy to get to. Some of it, you have to be a qualifier reviewer. But once your team gets on it, you can see, well, what do we see that our technology can come to play and add value 
from data mining. So data mining is more of a discovery component right now than a here's my SaaS service to sell to you currently. So they're learning, right? Where, where's the opportunity? Is it worth our effort? What have you? And they might discover something kind of unique that can help out the, the producer, right? Mm -hmm. Right? So they can help the trader organizations. Okay, well, you, you use our SaaS, you can be a better trader, right? Because when oil became negative $37 and you weren't hedged, then that day went down to $37. There's a lot of people that lost their shirts. They're protected with some of their trade organizations. But if you weren't hedged, then you got hammered pretty hard, right? Yeah. So a minor amount, a, a, few, a small amount. But that's one item that says, hey, if I predict, uh, does the mining reveal to me an algorithm where my assets could be protected? And that's a huge value right now. Yeah. Yeah, totally. No, I totally get on the data mining side. And yeah, I guess I just mean from like the, the crypto, the Bitcoin and the cryptocurrency uh, mining overall for, for the mining of, of the coins and the blocks. Real quick, you made me think of something, though, when it came to predicting and predictability. Um, and that is what is your prediction for what's going to happen in oil and gas and in the energy sector? Uh, what, like, what, so you, you, you said some of this in, throughout the conversation, right? That like, it's going to take a, a couple quarters to kind of, assuming that things get into this back to normal state, it's going to take a few quarters, but you know, what do you see overall, um, you know, for the industry in the, uh, in the next couple of years? Yeah, so uh, an oil and gas industry right now is, is since it's more of a geopolitical than really a, a market battle, our solution is, is market tools right now. Uh, that's the perspective of the uh, uh, U.S. federal government as well as oil and gas industry right now. Um, there is a discussion Tuesday on the Rail Commission, Texas Rail Commission, which is will dictate the WTI impact. Uh, should we curtail? production. So there's the amount of production that's fallen off the map in Texas, it's, or for even the U S it's, it's, it's uh, hard to see that that's going to add value. And, yeah. but going forward, uh, we see the things uh, who can financially hold out the longest OPEC U S Russia, you know, who has to, who has to borrow the most money and at the cost of money. Yeah. Right? So, that's going to be an indicator, official demand destruction, right? Mm -hmm. So it's it's not because of of something tragic going on, like a like a war or a natural disaster. Uh, so just a matter is is does my bank account or your bank account go dry first? And we figure that within the, in the next two quarters, um, the uh, various nations are saying, you know what, we're running dry. And the World Bank, our creditors, our bond people don't want to give us any more money. That's really going to be an indicator. And then we, we probably see by the end of Q4 that things will come to a head. Yeah. Earlier. We see some other indicators with the bond people, the credit people, and May, in the next few weeks, there's going to be a decision for some, some of the other nations that they can't get any more money. Right. Um, so you made me just think of something when it comes to these other nations, a lot of the nations that are in the oil industry are 
uh, authoritative regi regimes and dictatorships. I, I, you, you strike me as someone that would have some opinions on this. I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. Like, why, why do you think that is the fact? Or like, how do they respond? How does an authoritative government in the energy or like oil production um, standpoint behave that is, you know, perhaps different than what um, an American or a Western ideal might be? From a business standpoint, more than anything, I guess. Yeah, it's a, well, geopolitical is, is uh, can they do, uh, for all practical purposes, a geopolitical nuclear strike uh, to gain control of the market? Kind of like, you know, with the uh, oil crisis in 1973 and had that kind of control again. They, they want to be in a driver's seat. And because of our shell technology and oil and gas industry, the U.S. was in a driver's seat. And they didn't like that. But the same token is, is if, if you're doing 45 barrels, 45 barrels, uh, $45 a barrel, well, that's something where all people should be able to afford their debt, take care of their people, what have you, versus saying, let's create a, a worldwide uh, demand destruction and see who comes out on top. Mm -hmm. It's the only tool they have, because these nations do not have a geopolitical military force like the US, it's the only way they can punch back, right? There's other means, but we won't get into that. But that's sure. uh, the way to punch back. So, hey, you know what? I'm a, I want a bigger plate when I'm sitting at the table. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really that simple. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, well, Victor, last question for you is, is one I like to ask everybody on my show, and that is, uh, what's a question that you have that you want to leave our audience with that they can think about as they go through about their day and what they're doing uh, overall? I say question yourself that this time that you might be working at home, that the amount of, of product and services that we're offering could be less, if not more, right? Depending on the industry, that if that there is time that we say, you know what, uh, what, how do you think about then bringing stuff back to the U.S.? Uh, how do we see ourselves of returning to a point where we're a little more control and not so beholden to the rest of the world during these kind of issues? Because we will have other challenges in the future. So this terrible coronavirus is not the last straw by a long shot. So think about how you're gonna to speak to your leaders, local, your, your county, your mayor, your governor, uh, and get involved, get, get, get involved. It's, it's, it's a matter of what kind of America you want is how engaged you wanna be. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, Victor, thank you so much for, for joining us. What are the best ways that people can get in touch with you or in contact with you if they'd like? Uh, you can read me at Victor at KO Energy Capital, and it's like state capital, AL.com. Perfect, perfect. Uh, again, Victor, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Uh, everybody, thank you for listening and watching to another episode of the TF Podcast. Uh, please make sure that you are subscribed on our uh, social channels as, as well as where you listen to podcasts and on our YouTube. Uh, we love comments. We love feedback. Please let us know what you think. Um, fill in those stars. It uh, goes a long way, and we'd appreciate it if you share with your friends and colleagues. 
uh, make sure that you uh, listen in uh, on the daily because we are releasing lots of content right now and uh, look forward to uh, getting back with you all here shortly. Thanks so much and we'll all talk soon. Thank you.